this passage, this uh, Zechariah 3, 1 through 10, is an extraordinary passage. It, it is something that you can't just unpack in one setting. And so what I thought, to do it justice, before I go to the Ukraine and before we have that, and, um, and Carl takes over preaching next week in First uh, Peter 4, is to give you a warm-up. It's a warm-up, a warm-up on the character, one of the characters that's in that passage of Zechariah chapter 3. Now, I made that decision last Sunday. During the week, I'm in my office, and I get a call from John MacArthur's office. And I'm asked if I would please take a call from this man who's called his office and wants to speak to John. And I think it's because if they can't speak to John, they find another old guy and they figure that maybe he can answer these questions. So I have it down there. I'm minding my own business trying to do what I do. And um, so I get this call and I say, of course, I'll talk to the man. I take the call. And the man says this, I am possessed by Satan. I said, great. You can help me with a passage I'm studying so I can be prepared. I'm serious. I said that to him. I said, I've got this passage coming up, and, and I really want to know some answers here, so maybe you can help me. So I opened up to Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. Why don't you do the same? And, and I read the first verses to him, and I said, now I have some questions, some really important questions, and I started asking them. But let me read... Zechariah 3.1, it says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. I thought, this is a great opportunity. I've got Satan on the phone. I can ask him those questions. I mean, they're, they're, they're in my mind. I've got, I've, I can start, and I start asking the questions. And it's silence. It's silence. So I said to the man, I said, can I tell you something? You're not possessed by Satan. I'm trying to bring him comfort. Because if you don't know the answers, then you can't be. And I, I don't know that just, just to give him some comfort, I knew that he wasn't possessed by Satan. You knew that too before he even speaks to you before he even says anything. It's not logical that Satan's going to possess this one man in Twisted Twig, Ohio, and I don't even know where he was from, because he's not after somebody like that. He's not about doing those kinds of things. So I thought it was logical to ask him those questions, and, and I want you to know, to a degree, he was relieved of my asking those questions. So today... We're going to do a study on Satan. That's a terrible study, but we're going to do it anyway. We need to know about him because, uh, frankly, he's your opponent. You know, the Dodgers are playing uh, the Marlins. You need to know your opponent. They, whoever you're playing, whoever you're going to go against, you need to know your opponent. <clears throat> you know, you're playing football on Sunday. They, they want to know the films and see who their opponent is, and that's the same thing here. Can I tell you, there is an extreme amount of confusion, even in the Christian community, about the powers of Satan, about what he can do, what he can't do. Uh, I mean, you got this guy, Neil Anderson, running around, finding Satan and everything, and <clears throat> doing all kinds of things to try to drive Satan out of the cities, and guess what? He doesn't ever leave. 
But I want you to be exposed to this malicious marauder. That's why I have that name up there, is malicious marauder. I want you to be exposed to him so that you know how to battle him. That's what's going to happen in the end. We cannot overestimate and we cannot underestimate the power and the abilities of this being. Satan is a fallen angel. He's not a fallen deity. He is not a god, even a small g-god. He is a fallen angel. He is old. He's intelligent. And he's powerful. He is extremely powerful. Because of his age, he has become very cunning and very capturing at the same time. Where did he come from? Where did he come from? Would you turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 28? Now, these next two passages that I'm going to look at actually refer to someone else, but many theologians... Many pastors believe it to be referring to Satan at the same time. But if you look at Ezekiel chapter 28, starting in verse 15, and you can see some of the parallels that it could be to Satan. It says, you were blameless in your ways. From the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence, and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub. Notice what he calls him there, covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you by the multitudes of, the, of your iniquities in the unrighteousness of your trade. You profaned your sanctuaries. Therefore, I have brought the fire from the midst of you. I have cons- it has consumed you. I have turned you to ashes on the earth in the eyes of all who see you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have become terrified and you will cease to be forever. He he started out blameless, but now he's filled with violence. He's filled with arrogance. He's corrupted. He's unrighteousness, profane and terrifying. This is a description of what Satan is. He is terrifying. And you should be prepared in your battle against him. What does it say in Ephesians 6.10? Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And then it gives you the armor of God to put on to be able to overcome the um, temptations of Satan. Now, Isaiah is also another particular passage that some theologians use. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. Now, you you know, this must be a message about Satan. Bill Shannon's using PowerPoint. Okay, yeah, just just the idea that I'm using PowerPoint must be a message about Satan. But here it is. Isaiah 14, 12, it says, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. That star of the morning 
is used as a description of Satan very often, of the devil. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Whoa, what arrogance. What blasphemy. And I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Whew. My goodness, if a human being said that, you would want, not want to be standing near them. They'd be struck by lightning on a cloudless day. Verse 15, nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol to the recesses of the pit. That's a description of the king of Babylon as he's coming down. But at the same time, you can make this dual suggestion here of that's a picture of what happened to Satan. In 1992-93, I'm on my ordination council. We're actually in this room. I think it's this room. Maybe it was a floor below, whatever. And uh, uh, all the elders used to do the questioning of those who were wanting to get ordained. And, and one, pat, one of the elders asked me, so where did Satan come from? Where did Satan come from? Has that ever been in your mind? Have you ever asked yourself, where, where did he come from? You see in Genesis 1, and it says that all that God has created is very good. That's after he made women, by the way, men. It wasn't after he made men, it was after he made women. They're very good. Well, what happened? Well, 1 John 3.8. You don't need to turn there, but 1 John 3.8 says this. The one who practices sin is of the devil... For the devil has sinned from the beginning. From that time, whatever that is, and we don't know, and it's not told to us exactly when that is, but the beginning, obviously, is Genesis. So sometime in the beginning there, Satan fell. This angel, this cherub that was created by God, fell. Used by God, his purposes, and that's what we have, is a, is a Satan came from the beginning. Since Satan has been in existence since the beginning, he is a created being. Satan is a created angel. Please don't forget that. We don't want to mix that up. From the beginning, Satan has desired and worked towards toppling God. That's all he wants to do. He wants to take God down. He doesn't care how he does it. He wants to take God down. His cause for being is to advance his kingdom and only his kingdom. His cause from the beginning is to overthrow God Almighty. That's what he wants to do, is overthrow God. He has tried this through his introduction of the serpent into the garden. He thought, well, maybe this will do it. He has tried this through turning the people of God to worship heathen gods, and, and you can see, soon after they come into the promised land, they start worshiping these heathen gods. He, he does it through witchcraft. He does it through occultism. And, and folks, I don't know if you've noticed, but the entertainment industry of today puts out more movies on occultism and witchcraft and, and dark stuff than I've ever seen in my whole life. I mean, it, it's, it's coming out, and, and it's like billowing out of a, 
of, of the dark is what's happening here. There's another thing that Satan does. He, he wants you to worship this planet. Okay? That's why he wants you to worship this planet. And for us, and this is where we may come in, we, we want to worship ourselves, take care of self. So these are the various ways that he's attacking and he's coming after us. In the uh, Zechariah passage, Satan is called the accuser or the adversary. That's a very popular way to call Satan. He's the accuser or the adversary. And that's to describe uh, what he does with his relationship to God's people. He hates God's people. He hates God's people. He attacks God's people. Now, let's go back to that phone conversation in the beginning. He cannot possess a Christian. And that was my final thought with that man. I said, if you are a believer, you cannot have one compartment of the Holy Spirit and one compartment for Satan. It's an impossibility. It's either one or the other. And finally, what I did with that man was give him the gospel. I went to Romans 10, 9, and 10. I, I, I said, you needed to, you, this is what you need to do. He told me about all his afflictions. Well, you know what? Jesus said, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. And, and so we had this conversation going on. I want you to know, I, I was tender with him. I wasn't just very blunt, okay? Now, in that passage, going back to Zechariah, the word that's used there is, uh, it's a Hebrew word, hasatan. Uh, it's basically where we get Satan from. It's used 19 times in the Old Testament. Job 1 and 2, you see it used very often. Maybe we'll have an opportunity if we have enough time to take a look at Job. We see it in 1 Chronicles 1. Okay, 1 Chronicles uh, 21, I'm sorry. 1 Chronicles 21. And um, I just, 21.1. You don't need to turn there, but uh, I just want to read that. It says, Then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Okay, this is what Satan does. Gives you an idea. Okay. Same thing he did in the garden. Gives you an idea. You don't have enough. You need more. God's not satisfying me enough. God is not taking care of me well enough, so I I need to do this. That's what he does. He puts that thought into the mind. Oh, I need to do these things. There's another passage where that uh, word is used, that Hebrew word, hasatan, and it's in Psalm 109, verse 2. And uh, I'm sorry, verse 6. And it says, appoint a wicked man over him and let an accuser, doesn't say Satan here, but that's what it means. It's the same word. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. Isn't that what's happening with Joshua, the high priest? Satan is at his right hand. And that's the kind of questions I was asking him. You know, what does that mean? Okay, tell me what, what was going on there. And since he couldn't answer it, I knew he wasn't Satan. Ah, shucks, I didn't get the answers I wanted. But uh, for that man, it was good news. All he needed to do was repent. All he needed to do was come to Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, to one degree or another, every Christian, if you're a believer, 
is engaged with Satan. Okay? You're in a battle. We are living in the power of this world. It's controlled by him. Whether they be politicians or entertainers or they be uh, even uh, uh, neighbors. They're still in the power and the clutches of Satan. How do we know that? 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4. You know I'm not going to remember to turn the channel here. It's Satan made me do it. You do remember Flip Wilson. I love Flip Wilson, but he said, the devil made me do it. I can hear the older crowd chuckling. The younger crowd doesn't even know what I'm talking about. Flip who? 2 Corinthians 4. Verse 3 and 4, it says this, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they would not see the light of the gospel. He's blinded their minds. He's blinded their heart. They don't even know what they don't know. They actually think they're wise. They actually think they're smart, making decisions for us, whether they be in government or not. I actually think they're smart, but they have their this cloud over their eyes so that they cannot see clearly. The work of Satan and his minions, and obviously there are many of those, many demons, his ways and his works become clearer in the New Testament. In the New Testament, Satan is referred to as Diabolos or the devil. It's used approximately 60 times in the New Testament. 40 times alone in the Gospels. So then Jesus was dealing with him there. Most of the time we see the accuser is slandering God. He's slandering God to man, but at the same time he slanders men to God. That's what he was doing, standing at the right hand of Joshua. Slandering Joshua, the high priest, to God. And that's what he does to you as well. Oh, look at that Bill Shannon. Look at him. He sinned again. And look at he. Oh, he can't. He hasn't gotten over that or, or whatever. Put your own name in there. Don't want to let you out of it either. That's what he does. He's up there doing that. In the New Testament, Satan is portrayed as the accuser or the slanderer as well as he is in the Zechariah passage. This term Satan is used 34 times in the New Testament. Um, Ephesians 6.11 says this, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the accuser. That's basically what it's saying there. It says devil, but it's the accuser. Revelation 12.10 says, make it very obvious here that the Satan's role, what it is, it says this, for the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. Day and night. He does not give up. He's relentless in his accusations against us. Now, I love to read. Um, one of the things that I thought I would bring to your attention today, these are Puritan works that I have up there. But there are tons and tons of books out there, good ones, not the bad ones, like from Neil Anderson. Um, there's a, David Pallison wrote a book called uh, Power Encounters. 
power encounters. Very good about how to handle because you know what? You may run into somebody that is demon-possessed. I think I've told you the story, some of you anyway, about that phone call I did have with a young lady. She had called up once, twice. She was telling me her background and all of that. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of her speaking, another voice comes on the phone. I mean, it was no time break, folks. wasn't even a hesitation. It went into another voice. And it was another voice from another world. Matter of fact, I can remember watching my hairs on my arms standing up because it was saying, you can't have her, something along those lines. Now, I can't even project that same voice. And I've been to India where I've seen some strange, strange things. And so, yes, there are minions out there doing these kinds of things. You need to be prepared for it. Power Encounters is one of them. Um, Alex Kanye also wrote a book called Demons. And so those are just some of the things. Uh, um, Dick Mayo wrote a book, Unmasking Satan. So there are things out there. There are resources out there that you can read. But today, I want us to see what are the objectives? What is Satan trying to do? What is Satan trying to do? I'm going to give you a few ideas here that he's trying to get under our skin, cause trouble, um, to take away any kind of power that we may have because of walking with the Spirit. First of all, number one, Satan wants to mar, destroy, and cripple each and every believer in Jesus Christ. And folks, he does not care how he does it. He doesn't care if he embarrasses you. He doesn't care if he causes you to commit adultery. He doesn't care if he causes you to lie. He doesn't care if he causes you to get angry and your neighbor hears it. He just wants to do it. He just wants to do it. Satan will do whatever he can to accomplish this objective. Why? Why does he do this? Why is there such a battle for us? Because the simple reason, you bear the image of God. You bear the image within yourself. Because you are saved, you're getting closer and closer to be more like Jesus Christ. And because you are projecting that, he doesn't want that. The unbeliever, they're putty in his hands. They're already in the system. They don't really care. He just wants to blind their mind and their eyes and, and, and keep them from moving forward to get to know God. That's what he's trying to do. His schemes are, are incredible, and he wants to make sure that you fall. And folks, we do, don't we? We do, don't we? It's the battle that goes on each and every day. But you know what? We have a merciful high priest who forgives us over and over and over again. You just make sure you keep running in that direction. Yes, fall. I'm not telling you to go and fall, please. But make sure you're running in that direction. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The believer has a special place, you see, in God's heart. God hates, I'm sorry, yeah, God hates sin. Satan hates righteousness. Satan hates God. And he will try to do anything to hurt God. 
And so when Bill or anyone else in this room falls, he's up there, well, look what he did. And God is saying, look who he is. Because I've been covered, you have been covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He uh, tries to um, loosen you up through pain. He tries to bring trials into your life. He tries to um, give you difficulties with children, with parents, with cousins, with brothers and sisters, maybe even in the body. And, And he wants you to keep struggling with those kinds of things. He wants you to imagine things. Last night I'm sleeping, okay? And I'm hearing voices. Folks, I was asleep. I was not hearing any voices. But I'm thinking something's going on in my house. There's a party going on. That's what it sounded like. There was a party out in the front there. So I I get up and I look around. There's no party going on. And yeah, it's just a dream. Number two, Satan desires to overthrow the kingdom of God. He still thinks he can. He still thinks that he can do it. He he does not know the end of the story. Folks, yes, he does. He's got the Bible, but he does not believe the end of the story. He has the access to the scriptures, yet he does not want to believe that. He believes because he's so arrogant, so prideful, I can overcome. I will. It's not until he's thrown into the lake of fire that that dream is done. The kingdom of God is in opposition to him and Satan wants to destroy it. Whether it's the temptations of Christ in Matthew chapter 4, and and I I know the ladies are going to hear that in Women Walking Wisely in a few weeks, but the the temptations of Christ that, that are there, and each time, what does Jesus say? What does the word of God say? That's Jesus. He goes back to scripture. And each temptation that Satan brings to him, he goes back to scripture. Folks, did you hear what I just said? Go back to scripture. He will use whatever means possible. He he thought the crucifixion would be a a good thing. Satan did. He thought, oh, I can overcome. I'll, I'll destroy the son of God. He didn't realize Jesus was saving God's people through that. That's what Satan does. So he desires to overthrow the kingdom of God. Three, Satan does not want to let go of what he has already attained. The hearts of the unbeliever. He he wants to hold on to them. Satan has control of the educational institutions, and I mean he has control of the educational institutions. Folks, there is no doubt in my mind he has control of the educational institutions. I mean, it's just absolutely, incredibly apparent. He has control of, I I hate to say this, the Democratic and Republican parties. Notice I even said Republican there, okay? Even the conservatives, I don't care who you are. And politics, all of them, he has control of it. And he wants to keep control of it. He hates us. He hates us. 
And forget about the entertainment industry. Are you serious? I mean, that is in his hands as well. So he has those things on his mind. Satan wants to take back what he has lost. And he has lost your souls. He doesn't have them anymore. You're not like putty in his hand. You are able to fulfill 1 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation has overtaken you such as is common to man. And God is faithful and he will make a way through it. You can do that. You do that in the strength of the Holy Spirit. You do that in the strength of your obedience. That's how you do that. The souls that are walking with Christ, he, he wants to tear them down as much as he can. So how does he do this? Satan concocts all kinds of temptations, folks. But notice I said 1 Corinthians 10, 13 first. He has all kinds of allurements to get us in. I want to give you a story, uh, which hopefully is a good illustration. <clears throat> when I was a little guy, I don't know, eight, nine, I have no idea, 10, maybe, maybe younger. Um, <clears throat> we were, my family and I grew up in a, um, a three-story walk-up apartment in New York. And uh, at one point, we became infestated with mice. Little guys, you know, they're all over the place. Um, the only thing, by the way, I didn't regret any of that. I, I learned a lot of things about growing up in an apartment and living with people above you and below you and on side and all of that kind of stuff. I just wished it had been a Christian upbringing. But my mom would always give me the unusual things to do since I was the oldest in the family. One of those tasks was for me to get rid of the mice. Okay? So I became Rambo against the mice. Uh, and when I say we were inundated with these little creatures, they were all over the place. And so I went out on a seek and destroy missions, mission. And so what did I do? First of all, I went out and I bought some traps. I got regular traps, but in those regular traps, some of them I left just regular. Some I put peanut butter in it, okay, because they happen to like peanut butter. I have no idea why, but they do. I also put in cheese because that's something else that they like. I, I saw that on cartoons, okay? And so I wanted to see which would be the most effective, so I put the traps out there. Do you know there's another trap that they have? doesn't make any noise. It's a glue trap. You put it out there, and they, they walk on it, okay? Sometimes they chew their foot off, but, you know, they, they walk on it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so one night, I, I walk out, and I did pretty well. I did three to four mice in one night. Pretty good. But there were still more. I mean, when I say more, there were lots more. So I stayed up the next night to find out where are they coming from? You know, because that's a good thing. You got to find the source where they're coming from. They were coming from this standing lamp that my parents had. It was a standing lamp, okay? And the mice would make their nest right up there with all of the wires inside. I'm going, oh, okay, that, that's easy. I can eradicate that family real quick. Boom, boom. And that's what we did. <laughs> It's, they're mice, come on. <laughs> I 
I, I, remember, I remember teaching at a children's camp, and there was a mouse that was running behind me as I'm teaching out in the, in, in the, in the, and it's, of course, you know, what are children watching? The mouse. So the mouse happened to run in a Coke can. I went over and I smashed it. I lost the kids. They were gone. They were gone. But anyway, you got the idea that that's what Satan is doing. He puts the Coke can out there. He puts the glue out there. He puts the cheese out there. He puts the um, peanut butter out there. And sometimes he doesn't put anything in the trap. That is the picture I was trying to give. By the way, it's not a picture. I'm not Satan to do that, okay? just want to make sure you know there's a difference there. I say all of that because I want you to know Satan has skills. Satan has skills. Now, notice how Satan kills. Ah, wow, pretty incredible. Satan has skills. And he knows because of many, many, many lifetimes. He has an intellect that we can't even imagine. He's been watching man for centuries and centuries and centuries. Jonathan Edwards said this, quote, the devil was educated in the best divinity school in the universe, better than the master seminary. No, he did not. He was educated in the heaven of, of heavens. Yeah, that's where he was educated. And he's there. He has to be there to accuse us. He's there to accuse us. So he's been educated. Count John Calvin referred to Satan as an acute theologian. An acute theologian. I don't want to jump ahead, but sometimes theologians aren't theologians. A few years ago, listen to this, a woman came to me and said that her marriage was a mess. First person that ever came to me at Grace Church. Only one that Grace Church had ever did that. And she said she and her husband needed help. And she said, her husband said, only weak people go to counseling. Only weak people go to counseling. You see, Satan had filled his mind, even though he's a believer, had filled his mind with the lie, the same kind of lie that filled Eve's heart. That I don't quite have everything, but I certainly don't need that. This man's pride kept him from seeking help. He had at that point all that he needed is what he said. All I am is what he, this is all I need. By the way, gentlemen, ladies, this is all you do need. But how do you use it? How do you navigate it? How do you put it into practice? Who keeps you accountable? Those are the kinds of things this man should have said 25 years ago. And unfortunately... That marriage has never changed. First, he has intellect. The next thing is he has experience. It's experience from of old. He truly knows how to be wicked, and he knows the wickedness can attract even the heart of man. Some wickedness people are drawn to and want that wickedness. 
Satan knows best where to lay the trap. He knows best how to lay that trap. He knows what bait a man would be attracted to. And he knows what bait a woman would be attracted to. And young people be attracted to. And old people be attracted to. He knows the bait. Satan has trained us and with excuses. I mean, I, I hear them all the time. It's because of her. If I only had the right woman, then I would have a good marriage. If I only had the right man, I would have a happy marriage. The blame shifting that comes on is just absolutely incredible. If I only got enough sleep, I wouldn't be angry. If I only had enough this or I only had enough that. See, we make excuses after excuse after excuse for a sin. And Satan goes, up, oh, got him again, got him again. Satan can and will defeat the holiest of men and women, at least on this earth. I remember years ago, one of the first master seminary um, banquets that we were having. John Gerstner was the speaker. He's uh, now in heaven. John Gerstner said these words. He said, there will be men from this seminary who will fall morally. And I sat there and I said, you don't know these men. I pray with them on Tuesday mornings at six o'clock in the morning. I know these, this will never happen. This is what's going on in my mind. John Gerson doesn't know what he's talking about. Folks, it's not only men from our seminary, but every other seminary have fallen. I think of the recent man up in Portland. He was going to speak at our seminary and he fell morally. God knows exactly, God knows exactly how to bring us down. It can be quick, it can be sudden, or it can be something that goes on and on and on. Ladies, gentlemen, please be careful. I love this quote. If Satan cannot keep believers out of heaven, he will do what he can to keep heaven out of believers here on earth. Yeah. He doesn't want you to look heavenly in any sense of the word. He doesn't want you to look attractive to other people who are struggling with life and and want to have some answers for life. First intellect, second experience, third resoluteness, relentlessness. He's resolute. He's relentless. He's going to keep it going on. He tempts through the world system. He thinks only in one direction. There is no soft spot in his heart for anyone. Satan wants us to be indulgent and lazy, to sit back and not grow in our faith. And how do you grow in your faith? Read the word, study the word. Satan wants us to assume that we're doing fine. I go to Grace Community Church. I must be doing... You know what? Not only that, but I'm in the best fellowship group. I must be okay. Do you know, I go to Grace Church three out of four weeks a month. I even come on Sunday evening once in a while. I go to my Bible study eh, once in a while. 
We think that's enough. And I, folks, I'm not saying you need to be here 24-7. The lights actually do go out here once in a while. But never think it's enough. Never think that your walk, walk with the Lord is finished. I don't care how old you are. Because when you're dying in bed and you're still able to, to pray, you should be praying for the pastors of Grace Church, the elders of Grace Church, the, the people that are in trouble at Grace Church. You should be praying for them. It's endless. It goes on. When you're in heaven, then you can stop. Satan represents darkness, folks. Death, deceit. He attempts to deceive the world into thinking that that child in a mother's womb is just a blob. That's what he wants them to think. Therefore, it's fine to murder them. And that's what it is, is murder. The Virginia governor said it's even okay when they come out of the womb that you can still murder them. But you know this week what he did? He signed a, a, a bill in the state of Virginia to protect animals from being um, cruelty, abused. Well, I, wait a minute. You're, you're saving the animals from being abused, but you, it's okay to murder the child that came out of the mother's womb. One theology book that I read said this, quote, He is a guerrilla warrior who disguises himself as an angel of light. To make the battle more difficult, Satan wages an invisible spiritual war using the most deceitful, clever tactics ever devised. He stands committed to spiritual espionage. Espionage. Page 685 of the Biblical Doctrine book. How does he do this? He does it through distorting truth. You know, I am so glad when I got saved, I came to Grace Church. <laughs> I really, really am. And I didn't know it by my own intellect. I did it because a person who witnessed to me said, go to this church. It's the best church in Southern California. Because I got a good grounding in theology. I got a good grounding in understanding of who God is. I know some friends, some Relatives even have gone to churches and they linger there for years and never grow because they weren't, they're not getting fed. They're getting oatmeal. Satan wants believers to think contrary to the word of God. He wants you to think, oh, there's something wrong here. If believers think contrary to the word of God, then they will act, behave contrary to the word of God. That's what he wants. Has God said? Isn't that what Eve said? John 8.44, you should jot that down, John 8.44. He does it this way, quote, or this is what the scripture says, you are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Did you hear that? No truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and a father of lies. Do you know where he distorts the truth the most? Seminaries, denominations, churches, that's where he distorts the truth the most because they have the most impact on others. You know, I've been to a lot of different places and 
And when I first went to South Africa in 1994, uh, I asked them, is there, is there a good denomination in here? The largest denomination was the Jesus denomination. And it was a false cult. I mean, that's what happens. They, they, they get in there, they say, oh, this is a Jesus denomination. And guess what? It's a false cult. I was just in Italy. I had a wonderful time there. And you can see the smallness of the church. It was in Messina and, and yeah, people walking by, you could see them walking by. They're not wanting anything from the word of God. You see, Satan creates even false religions. Think about the plethora of different religions that are out there. Makes me think of 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy 4. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith. Whoa, are you serious? Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. They, they hear these doctrines, they're false doctrines, and they begin to follow them. So what do we need to do? We need to know God's word. That's the third time I've said that. Know God's word. So how do you fight? How do you fight against this imposing character? And we're going to finish up our time with that. I may be able to get to Job, but I probably will not. How do you do that? Okay, number one. Right there, remember the consequences. Remember the consequences of your personal sin? What happened the last time? Remember the guilt that you felt? Remember even the lies that it may have created because you sinned that way, that you had to cover it up with another sin? Remember the consequences? That, that guilt is there for a reason, folks. God gave us a conscience for a reason, and that is to say, oh, I did a wrong thing here. I shouldn't have done that. Okay, repent and turn to the right way. Remember the pain that it may have brought on others. Remember the regret that you may have in your own heart because of those things. Remember. Remember even the separation that you had from God and all those practical consequences that may come. Remember your weakness. Whatever that weakness is, um, let's say it's a weakness of the tongue. Practice not talking so much. Practice not saying so many things that it's going to bring gossip or slander or lying or whatever it is. You have to be the one who controls that. Remember your weakness. Remember that, that there may be certain things that you have to not do, okay, to avoid the temptation. Know your personal weaknesses. You know, I went to a house once where this guy was a single guy, and, and he must have had... Amazon Prime all over the apartment. I mean, it was like buying, and I, I said, what, what in the world? He, well, he's got a problem. He likes, he goes online, he sees these things, and he buys them. But he doesn't open up the box. 
Now, if I had anything, I have a problem with books. I get a lot of books. I just haven't quite read them all yet. How about alcohol? If alcohol's a problem, don't go near it. If chocolate's a problem, don't go near it. Video games, then stay off the computer and don't go near that. Movies, chat rooms, comfort, significance, procrastination. If those are your issues, write out a plan. How am I going to beat that? How am I going to overcome that? Remember the edges. What do I mean by that? There, there are, is a border to all of those things that we've just talked about. You could go right up to it. Okay, I didn't go over. Oh, 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 I slipped. You know, you get to the edge you know exactly what that edge is and you try to play as far as you can. What you need to do is hang back and be like Joseph and run in the other direction. Be like Joseph and run in the other direction. How do you spend your time? Where do you spend your time? May I make some suggestions? Spend it at Anchored. Spend it maybe taking the counseling class, maybe spending time with Men in the Word on Wednesday evening, EWG, anchored. Did I say that? Sunday evening, okay. Bible study, serving in ministry, anchored. Yeah, I guess I could say that. Make sure that you're spending time with the right kind of people. When I first became a Christian, one of the things I knew I couldn't do was hang with the same people I used to hang with. There were things that, uh, yeah, we we just we're not the same anymore. Matter of fact, I'm in Chicago. My my first time after getting saved, and I, all of the salesmen are at the Merchandise Mart, and and these are all the guys I've hung with for eight years. Okay, and we go out, we paint the town. Now, guy, I'm going back to my room. I don't need to do those things. Okay, I don't need to be involved in those things. Next thing is. Remember David. Remember David. David wasn't doing something. He was supposed to be out at the battle, but he hung back. He hung out and he was on his roof and and not only did he have sin with Bathsheba, he also murdered a man. Remember David. Remember that those consequences are there. When I was in seminary, fellow student called me up once and, and he said, Bill, can I call you up on Tuesday nights or whatever it was? I, I even forget. He says, uh, my wife is out that night and when my wife is out, I have a problem of looking at some things that I shouldn't be looking at. I said, okay, call me up. Let's. I said, my wife is out on Tuesday night. They happen to be together. And so they were out. He called me up. We'd talk on the phone half an hour, an hour, We'd pray. Can you imagine men can actually pray for that long? I mean, uh, talk for that long? Yeah. We, we talked and we were talking about ministry, what he's going to do and all of those kinds of things. Folks, the, the one thing that you need to remember, you are not alone in the church of Jesus Christ. Yes, you may have some difficult times, trials, situations. Don't let Satan actively work in your life to pull you away. Remember, get closer to the church, not further away. You see, we either make our decisions for God or for self. 
That's, that's the, the decision-making that we have. We're going to make it for God or we're going to make it for self. If we make it for self, we're actually making it for Satan. That's the scary part. I don't see anybody at the back door, so let me just take you to Job for one minute here. Job 1. This is an incredible story. I, when I read this story, I... I am just astounded by it. Starting in verse 6 of Job 1, it says, Now there came a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. The sons of God being the angels, they come before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. I, I, I just wondered, what does that look like? What does that look like? that Satan would be able to come among the angels in heaven with God. But he's there. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. So he does, he does partake down here. He is here. He moves around looking to see who he can devour, obviously. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Job was the most righteous man at that point. For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. That's what Job does. Matter of fact, Job did sacrifices for his children, thinking they may have sinned. That's how righteous this man is. Then Satan answered the Lord, does Job, not, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house? In other words, you've protected him? Yeah, that's what God did. And then God says to him, you may take that hedge down. Verse 11, but put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to his face. This is Satan speaking. Then the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. And he gets to take away everything. That man, when he called me up this week, or didn't call me up, he called up Pastor John, was looking at his life and having all of this stuff removed. Does that mean just because you have these trials or tribulations or things are gone now that God is after you? No, it doesn't mean that. What it means is God may be using that situation to make you even more faithful, more faithful. Victory comes in following Christ. That's what we're looking for. That's what he wants. And he may be testing us at times to be more faithful in those kinds of situations. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for this study of the Antichrist, the one who is opposite of who Christ is. The opportunity, Lord, to look at our enemy, to know what kind of a battle plan we need to put together, because that's what we're in, is a battle. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us the tools, each of us, of memory of Scripture, of reading Scripture, of following Scripture. I pray, dear God, in the name of a, of a holy and a, and a righteous king, I pray this for all of those folks here today in your name. Amen.